Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Good to see everybody. I was on Shabbat Fellowship this morning. Had been a long time since I'd done that. And it was wonderful to connect with so many people from all over the world. All over the world. What a blessing. What a blessing. Greet one another in the chat. Make connections. Make friends. Go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. Six days a week you can connect with brethren, whether it's through the women's group, the men's group, the prayer group, edification, encouragement. On Shabbat, we've got Shabbat Fellowship. And please make plans to come to the Passover. Wonderful Passover Seder, community, breaking bread together, worship teachings, and of course, mikvah baptisms in the wonderful, wonderful Willamette Valley here in Oregon, the week of April 2nd and 3rd on the Roman calendar. Celebrate the feasts, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot, the three pilgrimage feast, ascension feast. It's part of keeping the commandments, and it's a time for us to come together. Please do consider donating to Torah to the tribes and those of you that already do. Thank you so much. It means everything. We are truly, truly blessed, those that give through the mail, online, the letters of encouragement, edification, so much appreciated. It's very, very difficult in this world to be that light when so much darkness is out there, but we must persevere. We must keep going. This week, we are in Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel. We are in the 44th chapter. Yeshrun, I will pour water out on my people. There is so much within this portion to encourage us, to meet the fulfillment, to actually be the people that Yahweh always wanted us to be. Because biblical Israel never ever attained the Yeshrun that we find within this text today. So let's delve in to the 44th chapter and we shall commence. Yet now Shema, hear, O Jacob, Yaakov, my Eved servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. This says Yahuwah that made you and formed you from the womb. Who will help you? Fear not, Yaakov, my Eved, and you, Yesharun, whom I have chosen. Yesharun, or Yeshrun in the King Jimmy. What is this? This is, you see it back in the Torah, of course. It's the poetic name for Israel. It means uprightness, integrity, and it's all about the potential that Israel was to become. But did they become it? Did they meet that potential of uprightness, of zadikah, of righteousness? Did they meet that potential of integrity as Yahweh's chosen people? Have we met our potential? It really is hinting, yesharun, at the spiritual ideal of righteousness, the spiritual ideal of faithful of the prophet. It was really a reflection of Yahweh's desire 
for his people. Will you walk in my ways? Will you keep my commandments? And we know that we have the potential because now we have the comforter from Shavuot, the empowering Ruach HaKodesh, for us to actually meet the potential of Yeshurun. We, as Israel, have the potential, the ability to become what Israel failed to become because of what happened at Shavuot. Of course, the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh. So Yesharun symbolizes the spiritual ascent and potential of Israel. It, of course, represents the divine covenantal union between Yahuwah and you his chosen people. It's a witness where righteousness and holiness is to abound. You can do anything. If you say to this mountain, move, it will move. You've got to believe it, though. You've got to envision it. You've got to speak it out. You've got to put a plan into action, and you have got to walk as if it has happened. So in reality, Yeshurun symbolizes the spiritual aspect of Israel. Yeshurun, we first begin with the Yod, of course, in the letters symbolizing, of course, the divine presence, authority, the sovereignty of Yahuwah over his people, represented by the Yod. We've got Shur, we've got the, the Sheen Chresh, representing integrity, uprightness, righteousness, pointing to the moral character that Yahweh expects from his people. We can no longer be the way we were. And then, of course, we've got the Vav Nun. The Vav Nun represents the permanence or steadfastness. Keep the faith. Stay on the path, pointing to an endurance. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. You have to have endurance to be a part of Yeshurun, to be able to abide in the covenant of Israel. It's pretty cool. Yeshurun. Now, this was taught to the Romans who were cast out, that broken branch, wild branches being grafted in. In Romea, Romans chapter 3, verse 21, he, of course, Rav Shaliak Shaul, taught them of this in his teaching on what? Righteousness. That apart from the book of the law, through faith in Yahusha, this was to what? Resonate that there is now a spiritual ideal. Could you ever attain it when you were under the schoolmaster? No. You were never able to obtain the Yeshurun because you broke the covenant. But now, now that the Redeemer has come, you can become the Yeshurun that you were always supposed to be because now you are in the book of the covenant between the pieces through faith in Yahusha. You can reach your spiritual potential. You can attain it. The spiritual ideal embodied in the name Yeshurun as believers are declared righteous in faith. That's pretty cool. Then we could go on and Paul, he, see, he understood this. He spoke to the Philippians the same thing. Slightly different, but the same. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. We see Shaul's desire there is to be found in Moshiach. Not having his 
own righteousness from the book of the law, which you could never attain the Yeshurun in the book of the law because it was the schoolmaster. But now Moshiach has come. You can reach the potential that you never attained before. Righteousness that comes through faith in Yahusha echoes the very theme of righteousness that is represented in the term Yeshurun. Does that make sense so far? So cool. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, we know it well. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Yahushua spoke what? A teaching on righteousness. And that righteousness exceeds those who are stuck in the book of the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They will never be able to attain it in that system. They can never attain the Yeshurun because they're in the book of the law. So your righteousness had better exceed the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This totally aligns with the spiritual aspiration of everything held in the name Yeshurun. It's calling us, the name, to a higher standard of righteousness that's rooted in faith, that brings forth obedience to Yahuwah's covenant. In Yochanan Aleph, 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, there's more. There's more. Because Yochanan, John's exhortation was that those who practice righteousness are those that are born of Yahuwah. And this also totally correlates with the concept of Yesharun emphasizing there is a transformative nature, a transformative power in the Yeshurun, of the righteousness and the transformative power of Yahuwah in the lives of you. Man, we're transformed to live a life of transformation. It's a spiritual ideal, and it's laid out in Scripture for us. It's a spiritual ideal of righteousness, a spiritual ideal of faithfulness. It's embodied in you. You can attain it. In Yahuwah's chosen people. But you can't be the church. You have to graft in and abide in the vine of a Yeshurun. You have to identify. If you identify yourself as an unemployed heathen, then what will you be? If you identify yourself as an entrepreneur, a visionary, a creator, a transformer, what will you be? And then you just start to put out the tracks and walk along the tracks that align with your identity. Identity is everything. You are Israel. And you can do anything. As Israel. You're the covenantal people. You've got moral character. You have a covenantal relation. Not like the heathen. You are abiding. You have a covenantal relationship. And this is all symbolized in the name Yeshurun. So Yeshurun actually finds its fulfillment, its embodiment in the Brit Hadashah. Not in the writings, but in the Brit Hadashah through the righteousness that is imputed 
by faith in Yahushua HaMashiach. And it should inspire us to keep pursuing, to keep pursuing Yahushua, to keep pursuing righteousness, to walk in his ways even in the midst of temptation and trials. Because I am Yeshurun. And if you get thirsty, verse 3. For I will pour my eam upon him that is thirsty waters and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my ruach. Didn't I tell you that it was the potential of Yeshurun came about because of Shavuot, Pentecost, of pouring the ruach upon your seed, your descendants, and my bracha, your blessing, my blessing. The blessing is Yeshurun upon your offspring. So, here we got the pouring of the water, of course, symbolizing the Ruach. Hakodesh can transform you from a dead state to your potential. Yeshurun is transformative power. <laughs> Change your thinking. It's revitalizing. Change your body. It's renewing your spiritual horizons and landscape. I mean, this is motivational. I'm pumped. Yochanan, John chapter 7, verse 37, we know it well. But Yahushua is inviting, this is an invitation. John chapter 7, verse 37, it's an invitation to become Yeshurun. It's an invitation. But you've got to be thirsty, you've got to want it. If you don't want to change your identity from being an unemployed tax collector, then you won't get the vision, right? So you've got to want it, you've got to thirst, you've got to come to him, and then you've got to drink, and he promises that our hearts will then flow with living water. This parallels the pouring out of the Ruach mentioned in Isaiah verse 3. I mean, I'm only on verse 3. There's a lot, isn't there? It really is a lot, right? Right here, we're just opening up. Look, we can go more into Maaseh Shlechim, the Acts of the Apostles. Chapter 2, verse 17, of course. Shavuot, the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh. This is a fulfillment of Yoel, Joel's prophecy. It aligns with Isaiah's imagery, prophecy becomes imagery, imagery becomes prophecy, and then you have the pouring out of his Ruach HaKodesh on you, the people. I mean, it's everywhere. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. We have an assurance right there in Romans that the believers are going to be adopted as children, as heirs. They're going to be empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh and they're going to cry out, Abba, Father. Do you see how this perfectly resonates with the Ruach and the Isaiah theme? It's an Isaiah theme of divine election, restoration, and reaching your potential. Isn't that all we want in this life? That's all I want. If we can just come through this life and we met our we we met the potential, that is Yeshurun. It's a poem. I love poetry. Verse 4, and they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the Mayim streams, the water streams. And one shall say, I am Yahweh's. And another shall call himself by the name of Yaakov. You're going to change your identity. You're not a Gentile Christian. 
you're not a Gentile. Gentiles are heathen. You may be in the nations, but that doesn't make you a gent. Change your identity. You're not an African-American man. Get a grip, right? What do you think I am, a Viking? Oh no, I'm a descendant of King Charles. Well, if you think you're that, then you'll always be that. I'm Israel. You're Israel. Change your identity, change your vision, and you can become Yeshurun. But if you always think you're an African-American or a Viking, you are put a, a limiter on yourself. Which is exactly what manufactured propaganda history is all about. Limiting humans so that they become dependent. Yes, we're sheep, but they want to, the government to be your shepherd. Yahweh says, yes, you're sheep, but you can become Yeshurun if you allow my son to be your shepherd. Because we live in a time full of wolves. So what do we do? They have trained us through the public school system, through black history that only goes back to the, 17th, um, to the 1700s. They have trained us through the educational system or the re-educational system that when the wolves come, which they bring, manufactured violence, when the wolves come, we go looking for the shepherd. But they've trained us in our subconscious that the government is the shepherd. Government to take care of you. Benefits and privileges. No. That is sec. You will never become your potential of Yeshurun. No matter what color, what creed, where you come from, doesn't matter if you're black, doesn't matter if you're white, doesn't matter where you're from. If I identify as an Englishman, then I am going to limit myself totally to, well, I'm a white Viking. Well, too bad for you. You've just limited yourself. Right? Ridiculousness. But that's the way of the world. We have so much more. We are Yaakov, and another shall write with his hand unto Yahweh and name himself by the name of Israel. This says Yahweh the Melech, the king of Israel, and his redeemer, Yahweh Zevot. I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no Elohim. The Hebrew here, Vegola Yahweh Zevot. And his Redeemer, Yahweh of hosts, meaning the tool by which he himself will save us is also Yahweh. Think about that. This is another reference like last week and the week before to the Savior. And the Savior emanates from Father Yahweh without being the Father. But we've been propagandized and brainwashed with a trinity. So now 
it's really hard for us to break into an Ekad plurality biblical concept because we've got thousands of years, generations of three persons, right? Well, that's madness, man. That's polytheism. Well, Jesus is 100% God and 100% Yahuwah. Well, obviously, you never were good at math. I mean, he could be 97% God and 3% man. So what is it? Well, now he's a chimera, right? Is that what you're telling? That's your witness. That's your witness. We have literally been trained and educated by fools. And it's time that we educate ourselves as a people through the word of Yahuwah and check the history and go further back than the 1700s for crying out loud. Question everything. So we find in this text right here, verse 8, the definition of Elohim is Father Yahuwah and his Redeemer Yahuwah, the Echad Yahuwah plurality. Again, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, this is a duality of power, not a duality of Trinitarian persons, which is lunacy. Two powers abide eternally as an Echad plurality. So we have a duality of powers, not persons. In Yochanan, John chapter 14, verse 28, Yahusha declares that pater mizon mu, in the Greek, or the Father is greater than me. So there's two powers in heaven the greater and lesser Yahuwah, counters this unscriptural Trinitarian doctrine of three equal power, three equal persons, excuse me, in heaven, all existing as personages, all being Yahuwah. It makes no sense. Never did, and it never will. That's why if you talk and try to get somebody to explain it to you, they're tripping all over themselves. Because it's unscriptural. In Yochanan chapter two, 10, verse 29, Yahushua calls the Father the greatest power in the universe, if you will. He clarifies that by stating that the Father is greater than all. And all means all. And that would mean that Yahushua is relegated as less great. <gasps> How can you say that? Less great in position and all other attributes. Since all attributes that he possesses are said to come or originate from the Father. That's so offensive. The truth stings, doesn't it? Scripture does not teach a plurality of equal elders. That's what the Greeks taught. That was in the pantheon. Wonder where we got it from. 
the scriptures teaches that the Father is above all, in all, and through all, including his Son. The Father is greater. The Greek word is meson, greater or elder. So Yahusha, then, think about this, is fully and equally Yahuwah in that he is and has all that the Father is and has by first receiving all things from the Father. This bestowment, or bestowing, one should say, upon Yahusha of all things from the Father establishes him forever, if you think about it, as Yahuwah the Lesser, or the Lesser Yahuwah, eternally under the Elder or Greater Yahuwah. It's a plurality of power. Yahuwah is a plurality of divinity. Then Yahusha, as the brought forth Yahuwah from the bosom of Yahuwah, is the lesser Yahuwah, always under the authority of Yahuwah the greater. Now throughout the Tanakh, the Old Testament, it's Yahuwah the greater always sending Yahuwah the lesser, as Yahuwah the lesser is the outstretched arm, or in Hebrew thought, Metatron, the guardian of Israel. This is, this, I mean, it's been around for 4,000 years, this teaching on Metatron. It's a bit mystical. I will give you that. But we know on the other side of history that Yahusha is the outstretched arm, the brought forth one, the lesser Yahuwah, known throughout the Torah as the messenger or the Malak of Yahuwah or the captain of Yahuwah's hosts or Yahuwah's face, the young man Metatron or the word, the Memra. Of Yahuwah. These are all Torah phrases that um, appear in the language or in the traditions of the elders back in the culture. And you'll be like, oh, traditions. Traditions aren't bad unless they're pagan traditions. Now, in the Brit Hadashah, through the sun, the father was just reiterating what happened back in the Old Testament or the Tanakh. Because what's old is new, and what's new is old, and it's all one. As well as confirming the ancient understanding of the greater Yahuwah sending the lesser Yahuwah with the sent one being the one who carries the divine name. You have to be able to hear the name in the sun. And it's not Jesus. We were just talking, right? Oh, that's not important. I think it's very important because otherwise you're going to be befuddled and you're going to be trying to explain to me a trinity which is Greco-Roman paganism and you're going to get an egg out and you're going to go, well, see, look at the difference between the yolk, the egg, and the white. Oh, well, how about this ice cube? And it's water and then it turns to... What? What are we... Are we in a cooking show now? I mean, this has all been explained to me. I'm like, can we do a Bible study? And they're bringing eggs out. Oh, and then they're going to color them. And then we're going to hide them. And then we're going to go, look, what are we doing here? 
I'm being a little facetious, but we've all gone through this. How many of you participated in an uh, Easter egg hunt? hunt? Okay, I know I did. But it wasn't last year, so don't panic, okay? Let's go to verse 7. And who is like me? Let him call and declare it, and lay it before me, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these things to them. Fear not, neither be afraid. Have not I told you from that time and have declared it? Brethren, you're his witnesses. Is there an Elohim beside me? Yes, there is no rock beside me. I know not anyone. They that make a graven image which is what all this pagan Trinitarian doctrines are. You've basically projected an image of, of the Elohim, Echad plurality, and you've confused people. You've turned it into pagan Romanism. It comes from the Greek pantheon, and then it got migrated over to Rome. Then it got all incorporated under the Council of Nicaea. And now if we question it, we get kicked out of your congregations because you can't ask questions apparently. You can't ask questions about your history. You can't ask questions about the Bible. You just need to sit down and shut the blooming Henry up. Okay? All of you, just stop it. Just stop asking questions about your history. Your identity. And the identity of your Elohim. No. Not going to do it. Don't care. Not doing it. Got to go for the truth. The truth shall set you free. If that's what you want to do, then hey, that's on you. Fear not, verse 8, neither be afraid. Have not I told you from that time, and have I not declared it? You, brethren, are my witnesses. Is there an Elohim beside me? Yes, there is no rock beside me. I know not of anyone. They that make a graven image, all of them are vanity, and their delights shall not profit. And they are their own witness, aren't they? Well, you know what Spurgeon, you know. So now you're bringing out all of your Christian Bible commentators to witness for your own doctrine. But if we actually go to the Bible text as a second, oh, we don't want to know about that. Well, you know, Billy Graham believed in it. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> solid then. Solid, solid. That's some solid theology. They witness to themselves. That's a false witness. It's vanity. And their delight shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not, neither know anything, that they may be ashamed. There is no shamed. It's brazen, isn't it? Brazen. When it comes to the pagan holidays. Absolutely brazen. Who has formed an L or cast a graven image that is profitable for nothing? Verse 11. See, all his fellows shall be ashamed. And the workmen, they are but men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet they shall fear and shall be ashamed together. 
The craftsmen with the tongs both work in the coals and fashion with the hammers and works in the strength of his arms. Yes, he is hungry and his strength fails. Are we doing camera switching or am I stuck? No, we're good? Okay, I thought I was frozen and I don't want to be the frozen chosen. I want to be dynamic and moving from camera to camera because I'm no longer captive behind my computer. I've been set free (laughs) from captivity. Verse 13, the carpenter stretches out his rule. He marks it out with a line. He fits it with planes and he marks it out of the compass and he makes it after the figure of a man according to the glory, the tifereth of a man, that it may remain in his house. Right? This is exactly what the pagan nations were doing and this is why they could never attain Yesharun status. He cuts down the cedars and makes the cypresses and the oak which he raised for himself among the etzim, the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain does nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn, for he will take of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes lechem bread. Yes, he makes an L and worships it. He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. Verse 16, he burns part of it in the fire, with part of it he eats flesh. He roasts, roasts, and is satisfied. Yes, he warms himself and says, aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue of it makes an L, even his graven image. He falls down to it and worships it and makes tefillah, prayers to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my L. They have not known, neither have they understood, for he has actually shut up his eyes. He's become blind and a dead man walking that they cannot see, and they're leaven out their hearts that they cannot understand. Verse 19, and none considers with his lev his heart. Neither is there any da'at, any knowledge or understanding to say. I have burned part of it in the fire. Yes, also I have baked lechem, bread, upon the coals of it. I have roasted flesh and eaten it, and shall make the residue of it into an abomination. Shall I fall down to the log of an etz, a tree? So he feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside so that he cannot deliver his being nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Remember, verse 21, Remember these, O Yaakov and Israel, for you are my Eved, my servant. I formed you. You are my Eved. You have the potential to be Yesharun. Israel, you shall not be forgotten by me, the blessed hope. So, so much to unpack there in those, you know, 10 verses. But really, Isaiah is reaffirming Yahweh's sovereignty. He's reaffirming Yahuwah's sovereignty. He's reaffirming the uniqueness as the one true Elohim, contrasting with idols. 
There's the Most High over here, an Eckad plurality, and then you've got all this triunion, mumbo-jumbo, paganism, chopping down trees, bringing them into your house, bowing. How far have we come from such a state? And you wonder why you're thirsty and hungry and you can never reach your spiritual potential. Because Yeshurun will be withheld from you if you act like a Roman, a Babylonian, or a Greek. You have to become Yaakov, Israel, to meet your potential, which means you've got to lay aside graven images and idolatry. He reminds us of Israel's tendency, and it's always been our tendency to stray from Yahuwah and worship idols. You can see this is a human problem. It's a problem very much carried over into the church. And I'm not banging on the church just to bang on the church. It's contextually very appropriate because we do live in a modern world. Isaiah is truly emphasizing the futility on relying on man-made traditions and doctrines, creations of men, creations of religion, instead of the living Elohim. But still, in spite of our unfaithfulness to his covenantal promises, Yahweh is full of mercy and grace towards us. Really, this chapter, wow, it delves into the spiritual dynamics of both idolatry and redemption. And people don't seem to realize that there is a deep symbolic significance of spiritual bondage contrasted with liberation that Isaiah is really trying to outline for us here. So I'm going to give you three words that I think just kind of really, really delve into that specific point. Number one is the Hebrew word boker, boker, the word for chooses in verse seven. This carries a very strong connotation of divine election and selection. Verse seven, boker, chooses you. Divine election and selection. Yahuwah made a deliberate choice for you to be the potential of Yeshurun. Not abstract, not coincidence, a deliberate choice for you to reach your potential in this life, which is a gift. When I think about where I came from and how, how, how come out of my generations, my family are all unbelievers. My mother now is not. Recently, praise Yahweh, that's been years of prayer. How? How did this happen? Divine election and selection. Verse 7, chooses, Boker. Number 2, of course, Zadik. Zadik. Verse 8, my righteousness. Look at Yahweh's justice. Look at Yahweh's righteousness. Look at his moral perfection and his faithfulness to you and me. How could we do it? We couldn't do it without him. Number three, 
mifzari, mifzari, from my flesh. Verse 28. The term from my flesh is the Hebrew word mifzari. And it shows how intimate this connection with his people Yahweh has. There's an intimacy Yahweh has with the Yeshurun. Which really, I think, points to Yahusha and the incarnational presence, the redemptive work that is brought forth by the brought forth Son. So there's three things right there that I think delved into the spiritual dynamics of idolatry and redemption, the significance between spiritual bondage and then contrasting that with liberation. Number one, Boker chooses, verse 7. Number two, Zadik, my righteousness, verse 8. And number three, Mivsari, the term from my flesh, in verse 28. Meditate on that for a while. It's pretty cool. Now, you have to look no further than the book of John. <laughs> we start off in the book of John. But really, in John chapter 4, verse 24, Yahushua does a teaching on worshipping Yahuwah in Ruach and Emet, spirit and truth. It's lifted right out of this Isaiah message, emphasizing the exclusive worship of the one true Elohim over idols. It's powerful. Then, Rav Shaliak Shaul in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, proclaims Yahweh's sovereignty and self-sufficiency. This is Isaiah too. It's a very depiction of Yahweh as the creator and sustainer of all things. I think Colossians chapter 115 is the epitome of Isaiah's message. Especially in chapter 44, you get Shaul's description of Mashiach as the image of the invisible Elohim and the creator of all things. I mean, that's very Isaiah, is it not? Specifically our chapter right here. I mean, there's so much fulfillment in the later writings of Rav Shaliach Shaul. I mean, Romans chapter 3 with Shaul's teaching on justification by faith apart from the works of the law, because in the works of the law, Yeshurun could never meet its potential. Could never become the Israel could never become the Yeshurun. Because works of the law is the book of the law, the schoolmaster. But the, the church teaches works of the law is the Torah. So they are actually cutting off their very avenue to become the Yeshurun. Because you can only become the Yesharun by returning to the covenant, the book of the covenant Torah, not the schoolmaster. So they're actually cutting off their ability to meet their potential in this life. It's pretty sad, isn't it? Why? Fear, holding position, witnessing against the word of Yahuwah by bringing forth all their own witnesses in history. Oh, well, this, this, this Bible teacher taught this, and this Bible teacher taught this, so it's okay. Well, you know, our elders did that. Well, this is what Isaiah has always called out. In fact, Yahushua called the Pharisees and the Sadducees out using the voice of Isaiah. Well, did Isaiah prophesy a few, right? Because Isaiah has always been about that. Always been about that. So... This is about Yahweh's sovereignty, Isaiah chapter 44. 
It's about redemption. It's about the folly of idolatry. Hmm. It's kind of a somber message. A little bit when it comes to the serious stewardship of the divine human relationship. I mean, we're stewarding a divine human relationship. There's some serious stewardship there. This is not like, oh, let's just wing it. If it was good for Billy Graham and Spurgeon, it's got to be good for me. It's good for my, you know, my denomination. It's got to be good. No. We're not, we're not navigating a human-to-human relationship here. This is divine and human if you want to become the potential of a Yeshurun. If you want to be a golden calf, go up to tell Dan, then stay where you're at. Listen to men. This is an outworking call of our salvation. In spite of us, in spite of Yeshurun not living up to its name, its potential, it's about Yahweh's faithfulness to make you and I, through our choice, a Yeshurun. He has a redemptive plan. Verse 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions and as a cloud your sins. Make teshuva, repent, repent, for I have redeemed you. I have redeemed you. Sing, O Shamaim, for Yahuwah has done it. Shout, you depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forest, and every etz, every tree in it. For Yahuwah has redeemed Yaakov and lifted himself up in Israel. Verse 24. This says Yahuwah, your Redeemer, and he that formed you from the womb, I am Yahuwah that makes all things, that stretches forth the Shamaim alone, that spreads abroad the earth by myself, that frustrates the signs of the liars and makes diviners crazy, that turns wise men backward and makes their da'at, their knowledge, foolish, that confirms the words of his Eved and performs the counsel of his messengers, That says to Yerushalayim, you shall be inhabited. And to the cities of Yehuda, you shall be rebuilt. And I will raise up the ruined places of it. That says to the deep, be dry and I will dry up your rivers. That says of Koresh, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, you shall be rebuilt, and to the heckle, your foundation shall be laid. Oh my goodness, there's the train. It's perfect timing. Well, let's finish up. I mean, with so much here, let's, let's, let's go a little wild. Yeshurun. Reaching your potential. If somebody failed to reach their potential... Should we then 
just pretend that the scriptures that teach of that potential don't exist anymore. What happens if somebody failed or misunderstood or went wayward in reaching their potential of Yesharun and they never actually fully attacked? Maybe we shouldn't even talk about that anymore. Should we do that? Most probably would be more popular if we did. But we are now in a very interesting part of the scripture. Because this is a prophecy of Koresh, Cyrus. Yes, the Persian king. Stating, who says of Cyrus, the Hebrew word is Koresh, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. So now, specifically, we are now in this section of Scripture leading into a very, very interesting portion. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 28 introduces us to Koresh, Cyrus. Literally speaks to the role of Koresh, Cyrus, as a divine instrument for the restoration of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple. Of course, this was after the Babylonian exile. And did it come to pass? Yes, amazing prophecy. But... But what many miss is this historical precedent. Now, bear with me. Don't, don't tune out. This historical precedent right here sets the stage for a parallel in the eschatological narrative of Scripture where there will be a second Koresh that emerges. This Koresh figure will emerge to fulfill similar divine purposes in the end times. But maybe we shouldn't talk about that because there was a man in the 90s, I think you know who I'm talking about, that understood many of these prophecies and did he actually meet the potential of Yeshurun or become wayward on his way. So maybe we should, maybe none of this makes, is, is, is relevant anymore. No, it is. Bear with me, don't listen to propaganda, and don't listen to the words of the nations. Listen to the words of Scripture. Because this figure, like Cyrus, is appointed by Yahweh to lead his people through fiery trials. This figure is appointed by Yahweh to lead his people through Yaakov's trouble. The fiery trials of the end times symbolized by the furnace of Yaakov's trouble. Just as Cyrus facilitated the physical restoration of Jerusalem and the temple, this end-time Koresh is called to lead Yahweh's people to a spiritual restoration, a gathering of all 12 tribes and orchestrating the greater exodus 
from the nation. These passages within this section of scripture that we are now in are called the servant songs. And you start to see, and it's going to start to unravel in these next few weeks, this mysterious figure appearing in the pages of Scripture. And he emerges from the lineage of Yaakov. He represents both the individual and the collective body of Jacob Israel. Now, right here in verse 28, we are introduced to Koresh. And his name means a keeper of the furnace. A keeper of the furnace. Symbolizing divine judgment and purification. Do you think the devil knows he's coming? Do you think S.A. Tan knows he's coming? It's interesting how they did get rid of the Branch Davidians, is it not? How? Through fire. Because the Mashiach Naged, the anti-Messiah, is fully anticipating the coming of Koresh before the coming of Mashiach. And Satan knows and will use his servants to burn out, seek and destroy Yahuwah's people. Just like Ephraim, who misread the prophecies and came early, and Ephraim left Egypt how many years early? Forty years early. We are coming up on the very time of the emergence of Koresh. And we have been introduced already to the keeper of the furnace. But there is going to be divine judgment. There is going to be a purification. Of course, this totally aligns with the covenantal imagery of the book of the covenant between the pieces, does it not? A burning furnace, a smoking oven. This is the imagery in Genesis chapter 15, verse 17, and the fiery judgment of passing through the pieces associated with reaching your potential of Yeshurun. We also see it as the passing through the furnace of Jerusalem. And Isaiah spoke about this in chapter 31 of Isaiah, specifically in the ninth verse, that Jerusalem is the fiery furnace. So the appointment of Koresh as a servant is well reflected to us as the body of Messiah. But we are we looking for a temple to be built in Jerusalem? Are we looking for the Khazars to build their, their temple and to start their Levitical? No. We are looking to what? 1 Corinthians chapter um, 3, verse 13, where divine judgment purifies and refines the work of the individual, you and me, to become the Yeshurun, the end-time saints in the nations. In the last days, brethren, in the last days, Yahweh, 
chooses his end-time Koresh to shepherd his people and to lay the foundation for a spiritual temple composed of the 12 tribes of Israel and those that leave the nation and join with them who return to his Torah through the furnace of the covenant of the pieces. That's Malkizedek. That's Malkizedek. Now, take it further and we find ourselves in the midst of Yaakov's trouble, the fiery furnace, which is very reminiscent of Jeremiah chapter 30, where this chosen governor approaches Yahuwah, which is a symbol of those who intercede and stand in the gap for the people. And how many of the people? 144,000 that reach the Yeshurun potential. They've gone through the fire. They've become everything that Yahweh has called them to be. We're not talking salvific. We're talking about attaining the Yeshurun, the full potential. It can only come through the furnace, through the covenant of the pizzas, through the leading of Koresh to be the 144,000 from the nations who serve as the first fruits of Yahweh. And you're all looking at me like, what are you talking? Back up. Rewind. All right, let me try and unpack this succinctly because I might be rambling. I think we're going to be gathered for a spiritual restoration which is parallel to Daniel chapter 7 where the saints will receive dominion. That's dominion theology. We've never ever attained it. We're not going to be whipped out of here in our pajamas on a pre-tribulation rapture. We're stuck here to rule and reign, to have dominion theology come to fruition, fulfilled where we are part of establish, establishing an everlasting kingdom under divine judgment and rule here on this earth in the millennial reign. The Koresh sections of Scripture interknit with the body of Jacob. But Jacob has to go through the fiery furnace. The nations are going to use the fires. But we are going to be brought back together. And we see these themes of passing through divine judgment, of finding end time restoration. The culmination of all things is coming. The establishment of Yahweh's kingdom. There is coming Koresh. This is a time to discern. This is a time to discern the signs and the times and to prepare for the refining fire of judgment. I can actually anticipate the fulfillment of these prophecies in the coming of Koresh. This figure is coming. And the establishment of Messiah's kingdom on earth is coming. You can ignore it. Because somebody didn't reach the potential of a Yeshurun. And you could ignore it because Satan's minions knew that when the Koresh comes, they're going to burn him out with fire. And then you can just relegate that to history and, and never look back. Never investigate. Just like you didn't investigate. Oh, there were two planes that flew into the World Trade Center. Okay, great. Never look back. All right, 
You can choose to do that. You can choose to do that. You can always choose to do that. That's what they want you to choose. It's time to discern the signs of the times. That's all I got for you today. Nothing more, nothing less. Hallelujah, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Watch this teaching again. Share it with all of your friends in the church. Everybody's always thought you were in a cult. Now they're going to be sure you are. <laughs> My goodness gracious me. There's a lot to unpack. This was a great teaching for me to, um, not teaching, chapter. Excuse, I hope you think it was a great teaching. It was a great chapter for me to teach. Um, I really enjoyed this week. I must say, wigging out. Wigging out. I hope that it was inspiring. Yesharoon. Meeting your full potential. We're going to have a break next Shabbat. So I won't be teaching, I don't believe, next Shabbat broadcasting. So connect on the Shabbat Fellowship. Watch the archives. Watch the archives. We're backing it all up over there on Odyssey. Please give us some thumbs up right now. Comments. Put some comments in afterwards. Comments. Invite your friends. Come to the feasts. You guys are amazing. So many of you have tuned in so faithfully. Some people go away and then they come back. Oh, I used to watch Torah to the Tribes 15 years ago. And then there's people that have been watching faithfully for 20 odd years. And then there's people like, oh, I just found you last week. Yahweh is doing an amazing work. And I'm humbled. And I know when you look back on some of my teachings in the past, I'm aggressive. And, and Yahweh is changing me, refining me. I make lots of mistakes. And I thank you all for being so, so patient with me. But I hope you can see the changes that I'm making in my life. And I know Yahweh's making the changes in your life. Trying to soften out those rough edges. I mean, I'm always going to be a little salty. I've got two brand new cases of Marmite that my wife got for me. So the salt potential is always going to be there. But we're just trying to smooth out those edges. As the more gray hair I get, you know, we're trying. We're trying. Work in progress. I, gotta, I want to attain the Yesharun. Will you join with me to want to attain that? Because we can do it together. Come to the Passover. We'll connect back next Shabbat on Shabbat Fellowship and two weeks for the live stream.